Turn, if you will, to the book of Acts. Find your copy of God's Word, and we're going to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Set the context for you again. Those of you who were here last week, you'll remember that uh, Peter and John were going up to the temple complex, and as they were going up, they found a lame man that had been in his condition since birth, and he was crying out for alms, hoping that somehow somebody would help him and provide resources. And if you remember, Peter and John looked at this man and said, you know, we don't have silver and gold. We're not blessed with all the treasures of this earth, but there's something that we can do for you. We can give you Jesus. And when Jesus comes into your life, he's going to bring and wholesomeness. He's going to bring some type of healing. And what happens? This man is healed and he goes about, remember this, he was leaping and praising God. He was just enjoying what God had done, celebrating God's work. And you would think everybody would. You know, Peter gets up and he begins to preach and he begins to tell people what's happened. And he, he interprets this work in the light of Christ and his coming. But not everybody is happy. Not everybody celebrates. As a matter of fact, we see in the first part of chapter 4 that the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, others, they come upon him, and even while he's speaking, they take him and drag him before the Sanhedrin. And that's really where we pick up in verse 5. It says, And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst of them, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means... He has been made well. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So here you have uh, this incident, you have the healing, you have people protesting now. The, the rulers have come and they've taken Peter and John, they've cast them into jail overnight. Perhaps they were thinking that things would calm down and maybe they would get their reason back. But they bring them out and they begin to question them. They place them in the midst of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was much like the Supreme Court of the land about 71 or so religious leaders and rulers that made up this Sanhedrin, mostly of the Sadducees and the priestly group. But there were a few Sadducees that had managed their way upon this council. And they were coming to, to hear and to see what was going on. They began to question them. And it's as though the wording of this is that they questioned them in unison. It's like a singular verb here saying, what have you done? What, by what authority, by what name have you done these 
things. And they're sitting there. You can imagine this, right? Sitting around them. Some of you are, are uh, deacons or maybe ministers in different ways. You went through the ordination process. I know not all of us have, but some of us have, right? Do you remember that day when you had to go before the firing squad, so to speak? If it, if it were like me, they, they, they put me right out in front of everybody. And here they were just asking questions. And now I'm not saying they were Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, some of them probably were, but, but you can just picture this 71 individuals that represented the leadership of Israel sitting around in a semicircle with Peter and John right in the midst, a scribe here and a scribe there that's recording the proceedings that's going on and that, and, and having to field these questions. And I think in this exchange that you see, the exchange that Peter and John have with this ruling council, I think you see the majesty and the beauty of the name of Christ. And it says something to us about that name. It says, one, that there is no other name whereby you can attain salvation. There's no other name that brings salvation now the question obviously is in what name what authority by what power in verse 6 it said annas was there annas was kind of the guy behind the throne if you will the power behind the throne even though he wasn't the high priest at the time you know that he was the father-in-law of caiaphas annas has about five sons or so that will serve as high priest he has a son-in-law caiaphas that serves as high priest he'll eventually have a grandson that will serve as a high priest he was the guy the power behind the throne. Caiaphas is there, the high priest. John, Alexander, others, they were there to question because they wanted to know by what power and by what name you have done this. Tell us the authority that you are claiming. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to come back to that later. He stands. And when a preacher stands, you know what he's going to do. He's going to preach. So Peter gives a mini-sermon here. We call it sermonette perhaps today, he gives a little shorter version of what he gave on the day of Pentecost. But he hits these main points. He says, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for good deeds done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. So notice what he says. You're asking us by what authority and what power this man has been healed, been made whole. The terminology that's used there is by what idea he had been saved, physically saved, physically been made whole. You're asking us by what authority we have brought this person to a salvation in his physical life. We can tell you, it is because of the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And you can tell here he's not pulling any punches. He said, whom you crucified. Whom you crucified. But yet God has raised. God has brought to resurrection. Now, you've got to understand that the elite of the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees in particular... They weren't about any type of miraculous activity. They denied all type of supernatural power. Remember the bad joke I told last Sunday night? Some of you say, yeah, I remember that bad joke. Sadducees, 
They didn't believe in any kind of resurrection. They didn't believe in any kind of healing. They didn't believe in any kind of power. And that's the reason they were sad, you see. Okay, I'm not going to say it again. That's it. It's out of my system. That's it, okay? Not again. But they didn't believe in any of that kind of stuff. They didn't believe in that. And thus, this is called a disruption. I mean, Jesus of Nazareth, you just said he was resurrected. We don't believe in the resurrection. And you're saying it's by Jesus that this man is healed. We don't believe in any type of healing. And yet, notice how Peter turns this. He takes the physical salvation of this individual and he points it toward eternal salvation. That is, it's the same word. I mean, the same word for physical salvation, being made whole, being saved, is the same word now that he's going to use to speak of that spiritual salvation. Verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's only through the name, the authority, the power, and the person of Christ that somebody can come to salvation. Did you hear that? It is only through Christ that individuals can enter into salvation. Oh, how we need to continue to proclaim that message. Oh, how we need to continue to hold to that doctrine. That Jesus Christ is the exclusive way to salvation. What we see in our culture today developing is obviously this universalism. The idea that everybody's fine, everybody's okay, and that we're all going to get to the same place. We're just taking different roads to get there. We see it in our culture. But may I suggest to you that it is creeping into our pews? I believe that many of us, even if we do not subscribe to it doctrinally, we live practically every day as universalists. What do I mean by that? Well, doctrinally, we might say, Dr. Rage, we absolutely agree with you. If we were an amen in bunch, I would amen you tonight. About time, about time. It's pitiful when the preacher has to beg for it, though, you know? Some of us, some of us could doctrinally say that. But practically, we go out of this place and we live like universalists. What do you mean by that? I mean, we live in our in our workplace, we live in our families as if everybody's fine and everybody's going to get there. And yet, what did Peter say? There is no other name under heaven. There's no other authority. There's no other power by which people will come to salvation but through the name of Christ. It's the exclusive work of Christ. Often have said... If there was another way, why would God send his one and only son? It would defy every type of understanding. If there was any other way, if we could be good enough, if we could work our way, if we could find it through somebody else. But there was no other way. It is through Christ and Christ alone. And that is exactly what Peter says. He takes this miracle, this event, and he uses it to proclaim the name of Christ and to, and to proclaim the exclusive way of Christ in salvation. 
Well, Jesus never claimed to be the only way. I would take issue with that. We never claimed to be God. I take issue with that. Did Jesus not say that I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes unto the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He did claim deity. He claimed it in so many different ways. He claimed it with divine prerogatives. Remember, it was Jesus who said and demonstrated that he had the power to calm the sea or calm the storm, which only God really could. And even more, he claimed the prerogative of forgiving sins. That's the reason those in the audience, when they heard him pronounce certain ideas of forgiveness, they they could not believe that he had said such. They claimed that he had committed blasphemy. Why? Because only God could forgive sins. And they were right, by the way. Only God can forgive sins. But Jesus, being divine, he was able to forgive sins. And as you continue to look at his life and his ministry and his work, you see the miracles. You see the events. You see his ministry. You see him have power over death itself of bringing resurrect, the res, resuscitation, if you will, of, of Lazarus. You continue to see his work, and you continue to see him worshipped. Even the demons themselves speak out to who he is. He was God, and as such, he claims our loyalty, and he claims our commitment. There is no other authority, there is no other name, under heaven by which men and women should be saved. Well, Dr. Reggie, that's a different culture today than it was then. That violates everything we could think about. Have you ever thought of this? It violated their culture in the day as well. Think of the Jews. Here it is. It's violating their... Jesus, no, he's not the only way. And even on the Greek side, the Greek side... They would absolutely say there are all kinds of different ways. So don't tell me it's just a cultural thing. Peter was speaking out to his culture even in that day, claiming the exclusive work of Christ. Dr. Reggie, how about these people who are sincere? I, I believe sincerity is a component of our response to God. But sincerity is not sufficient in and of itself. You can be sincerely wrong, right? Absolutely you can be. I thought Ole Miss was going to win by 50 points the other night. I sincerely held that. I was coming in. I was ready. I was watching it. I thought it was going to start off well and it was going to end well. I was wrong. I was right up until the teams took the field. And then things went totally awry. And Leslie will tell you, it even, it even uh, brought uh, some type of temptation in my Christian walk. You can be sincere about something, and you can be sincerely wrong. And I know there are people that are sincere in their religion, in their faith. I know that. 
But sincerity does not bring salvation. The substance of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what brings salvation. Sincerity is a component, as I said. But it is not sufficient for us to experience salvation in our hearts and lives. We must recognize exclusively Jesus Christ as Lord. We must recognize in our lives that Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was. That he was the Son of God. That he is the Lord that demands our submission and surrender. And by faith and trust, we must accept him. There is no other name that brings salvation. Well, may I go on here and say to you that Peter says as well that there's no other name that brings transformation in our lives. Look in verse 13. He says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, and they could say nothing against it, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do? What shall we do with these men? For indeed, what a notable miracle has been done through them, and it is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, we cannot deny it. Notice what they say. They send Peter and John out. They begin to confer. What are we going to do? Now, we can't deny that this man was healed. We know, and the people know. So what are we going to do? What is going to happen? And they marvel, the Scripture says, over the boldness of Peter and John. The boldness. Something has happened in Peter and John. Especially Peter, when you think about him. Something has happened. Isn't the Peter of Acts 4 different than the Peter of the Gospels? In some sense. Remember when we lead Peter in the Gospels, he basically has been the individual who has denied Christ, and he, he's wearing that stigma with him. Now, God forgives him, and Jesus has this moment on that shore where there's that relationship restored and fellowship. I, I know that, but this is a little different Peter here. He stands in boldness to proclaim the name of Christ. And they're looking, even the Sanhedrin, they look at Peter and John and they said, something is different about these people. These guys are uneducated. They're untrained. They went to LSU. No, I didn't say they, they're uneducated. They're untrained. They marveled. They marveled at them. I mean, here, Peter, he's just a fisherman. Just, just a fisherman. And they marvel at him. Now, friends, I'm all for education. We live in a community that places education on a high pedestal. And I'm thankful for that. I, I, I believe in trying to be educated and study. Leslie will tell you I've spent a lot of years and a lot of money trying to learn and go to school. I, I'm thankful for those opportunities. But here, this Sanhedrin notice, is, it's not derived from the educational level. Their power is not derived from the educational level of these men. There, there's something different about these guys 
And Dr. Luke just reminds us that they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now, to just underline that. They had been with Jesus. There's something about coming into the presence of Christ that performs a transforming work in our lives. I mean, to, to be in the presence of Christ. They had been with Jesus. And when they had been with Jesus, there was something that, something that began to transform them. And they had gone from these guys who, who really you see, you would say even in the first part of Acts, hiding behind the doors. Now to individuals who are standing before the ruling council of the Jewish people and boldly declaring the gospel. They had been with Jesus. And notice it says earlier, in that passage that I read, it said that when Peter stood up, he was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been with Jesus. There's a difference that is made. And there's a witness to be shared. Again, I believe that it's great to be trained. It's great to be equipped. It's great to be discipled. Discipleship is necessary. Absolutely. But I also believe that my witness is not dependent upon me taking 12 sessions. I'm not sure I got that right, Lloyd. But 12 sessions of a faith training that teaches me how to share my faith. Now, those are good. I'm not, not knocking them. I'm not knocking them. But what I'm saying to you, and, and I would remind myself, if I've been with Jesus, the witness that I have for him should be a natural outflow of who I am. I, my sharing, remember what, the, what we saw in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that they were to be witnesses? They were to give testimony of Jesus? That's all you have to do. You don't have to go through five points of a gospel presence. You don't have to do that. God intended every believer to be a witness of Jesus Christ. God intended every individual who came in to give their life to him, he, he determined that those individuals would be people that would be able to stand and give a testimony of who Christ is in their lives. Now, I know some of us can maybe speak more eloquently than others, but what did I tell you this morning? The testimony of Christ is not based upon our, our persuasive words and our eloquence. The testimony of Christ is based upon the power of God working through us into other people to make a difference. So here they are. They're unlearned. They're uneducated. But they've been with Jesus. And they speak in the power of the Holy Spirit. They testify. And then they remain determined. Because no other name brings transformation. And no other name brings determination. Verse 17 it says, But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them 
that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So we've got a plan here. We'll just tell them not to talk about Jesus anymore. And we'll threaten them if they do. Well, that may seem like a reasonable plan. Verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. Verse 19. But. But they don't know who Peter and John are. But they underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It says, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Don't you love that? I mean, the ruling council says, you're not to speak anymore. You're not to mention the name of Jesus any longer. We threat, this is what we're going to do to you, if you will. You can't do it anymore. Peter and John said, well, you judge what's right. All we can tell you is that we must speak about what we've seen, about what we've heard. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to share about Christ. We're going to share about his testimony in our lives. Because we've seen him, we've heard him. I did my dissertation, my doctoral research on an evangelistic preacher named Dr. Bob Hamlin. Any of you ever heard of Dr. Bob? Probably not. That's what I thought. And I've written a book and you still don't know. You hadn't hadn't read my dissertation. I'm so disappointed. Dwight, you were supposed to do that before you called me as a pastor here. Dr. Bob Hamlin, who is um, vice president of the Home Mission Board for a while, he wrote Continuing Witness Training, CWT. Some of you folks would remember the evangelistic training that he wrote years and years ago. He was at New Orleans Seminary. But most, probably most importantly, he pastored in Tupelo, Mississippi. Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob. And I talked to him about evangelism. I talked to him about the preaching style that he had, about his theology, his theory of preaching. And, and really, I'm going to tell you something that really grabbed me when I was going through my study. And that is, he said, you know when you read the book of Acts... You see believers who are in love with Christ, who were personal, who had personal encounters with Christ, and were was so transformed by those encounters that they just naturally shared who Jesus was in their lives. And I thought that's so simple. I, I mean, it's so simple, isn't it? Here I am trying to do all this study and trying to figure out this. And, And I'll never forget the way Dr. Bob placed that idea in my life. And I saw it lived out in his. Man, he could could speak to somebody about Christ in a restaurant or maybe maybe he was out just in Walmart or he might be in a pulpit. Wherever he was, he could speak about Christ. And I always was amazed. But he reminded me, if we've truly come face to face with Christ we've heard him and we've seen him, then we must speak the things that we've encountered and the things that we've experienced 
with him. Dr. Bob used to say, he said, you know, perhaps one of our problems in our witnessing today and our really anemic uh, stances in our churches today is because more of our people have not truly experienced the Lord Jesus Christ. I've never seen Jesus Christ physically. Never seen him physically. Now, I know some of you may disagree with me. Some of you may say, well, my grandmother did, and I did I don't think any of us have seen him physically. I believe the next time we see him physically it will be when he returns. His physical return. So I've not seen him physically. I'm assuming that you haven't seen him physically. But we ought to live every day with the certainty and the confidence that we have come face to face to him physically, face to face to him physically in our lives. That we trust him and we believe him in such a way that it's as though we have seen him. We have seen him in flesh. And when that happens, when we experience that in our lives, it is so natural for us to just share with other people who this Jesus is. What he has meant, how he has saved us, how he's worked in our lives, how he's transformed us. And when people say, oh, you can't share about... All we can do is speak to the things that we've heard and that we have seen. Well, verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. No other name. No other name for salvation that brings salvation. No other name that brings such transformation in our lives that take us it really takes us from that place where we would doubt, that place where we would reject and lead us to a place of boldness. There's no other name that would bring salv- such transformation in our lives. And there is no other name to give us such determination to serve him. As we continue to read through, we'll see moments where these early disciples, they'll be persecuted. Many of them will give their lives. My best understanding of the initial 12, 11 of them suffered death itself. Why would they do that? Why would they hold to those things that would take their lives? There's no other name. There's no other name. And may we go through our lives each day knowing that there is no other name and being (laughs) compelled to stand and to speak the name of Christ for those we come in contact with. May they come to the saving knowledge of the Christ we know so that one day they will be able to stand and speak only the things that they've heard and that they've seen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the name that is above every name. Thank you for the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. 
that has demonstrated itself in our lives. So many of us in this place who have come to salvation. Who, Lord, have continued to experience that transforming work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And God, as we continually stay with you and experience you and who you are, would you make us more determined each day to give testimony and witness to your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, speak to us now. Encourage us, challenge us, convict us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we have this moment of invitation?